welcome to the Union Fitness Podcast with your hosts, Todd Hammer and the killer Mike of Union Fitness, CJ. Charles Jasper, he is the hall to my oats. And uh, <laughs> we are so pumped because this is, we're back recording again, third episode since reopening, so this is big. We have a good friend. From uh, the Dirty South. From the Dirty South, a dude. Hotlanta. Hotlanta, known wide and far in the strength and conditioning, strongman, powerlifting, Olympic lifting, prowler, push challenging world. Kool Aid drinking. Kool Aid drinking. <laughs> <laughs> My man, Zach Reed. Zach Reed, welcome. Hey, thanks, <laughs> thanks for having me, guys. Zach, is that dog out here in the background? Uh, yes. Yes. That- so I'm, I'm, I'm hoping he stays quiet, uh, but I may have to put him in his cage in a minute. Oh, put uh, him in his place. It okay. sounds like a little dog, is it? Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's a Jack Russell. So I was actually on way back when during the COVID, we had a Zoom meeting with football, and I didn't turn my mic off, and it's and all you could hear was, get in your cage. And then all the coaches were like, um, do you have, like, somebody held hostage there? Yeah. <laughs> Someone in your basement, deep buried away. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I just want to know because – It puts Curtis, the lotion on its skin. <laughs> Curtis, who works here – He's a big, strong fella. What did he pull? 780, 790? Yeah, squatted eight. Yeah, squatted eight. I mean, he's a big, strong fella, and his dog's about four pounds. Yeah. Yeah. Where, yeah. I, you know, my best deadlift's like, you know, 210 pounds, um, and my dog's 110 pounds. Is there a nice. correlation? Like, yeah. what's going on here, yeah. guys? It's like the people Mates. that hang those things off their trucks, too, you know? Yeah. Well, and then CJ has a medium dog. Mm-hmm. Medium lifts. Not, yeah, so maybe I need to get a smaller dog, yeah. Josh. All, all I know is that it works really well in the belt line. Mm, nice. So the belt line's a little walking area here that I can get on. It's pretty close, so he he gets a lot of good compliments. Nice. Well, well, here you know, a lot of our uh, listeners don't don't know you, people from here in Pittsburgh. So tell us about yourself. So I'm a Georgia native, even though I lived in Florida and Tennessee a little bit, but for most of my life I've lived in Georgia, and I've spent the better part of ten years in downtown Atlanta right now. So even though it is hot Atlanta, it's pretty chilly here actually. And I live in the heart of the city to where, where all the graffiti and the freaks, geeks, and weirdos, that's basically where I live. So it's uh, pretty eclectic. It's a nice bohemian area. Todd, you'd love it. So it's uh, – and, so, and So I, CJ. Yeah, oh, yeah. CJ, you'd love it as well. I'm so, all for it. So I played college football, and then I was uh, – basically, when I played football, we never had a full-time strength coach. Or it was a full-time person, excuse me, but it was every two years it would be somebody different. So it was never necessary a longevity of a, it was a lot of transition and, and turnover, and so basically when I got done playing, they're like, "All right, Zach, you're the lifter of the team. You're you're, gonna, you're in charge now," and so that's originally how I got my start. Even though I'm a, a certified PE teacher, I stayed as a graduate assistant and was just thrown right in the fire. Went from Zach the player to Coach Reed the coach. So I stayed and coached a couple of years, and then I was pretty fortunate to work for someone that I played for in high school as a high school teacher for eight years. And then during that time, I, I still had some aspirations and desires to be a college strength coach. So I had an opportunity at Georgia Tech where I was actually an unpaid intern. I quit my job when went in and, and then became a paid intern and made a large $500 a month. That was nice. That was great. And then I got hired on. So it was basically the just I was in the right time at the right place. And then I spent 10 years there. You know, you said you said I was, you know, right place, right time, whatever. Uh, I'm going to call BS on that, and here's why. I, I truly believe, and everyone I've met in 
almost any profession, but strength and conditioning specifically, they always say that, hey, I got lucky or this fell into my lap. But, you know, you also, you put that work in because you were, you were what, 30, 30 that's, years old making $500 yeah. a month. Todd, that's what helped you. I was, I was 33, so I wasn't, I wasn't wet behind the years, right? Yeah, and you're, there you are making $500 a month. So, you know, nothing fell in your lap. You were working. You were in the weight room every day. Shall I even say grinding? Hashtag grinding. grinding. That's uh, yeah. Um, yeah, de- yeah, definitely one of the last things you want to do is somebody with 10 years experience going in is, is saying that something's beneath you or there's some mm-hmm. kind of menial task you're not going to do. But you got to stock the fridge. you got to clean the shakes, um, everything. you got to do it all, right? you got to show that you're, you're serious about it. And and I, and I and this is something for a lot of young coaches, too. you got to make a quick impression. I think you can change impressions, but you got to go in and, and be ready to work, definitely, from day one. Every day is a is a – you're, you're, you're being evaluated at all times. Yeah, Pat Ivey said it. Every day is a job interview. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, with, with young coaches, young professionals specifically, where you don't have that reputation yet, I mean, you have to think about that every day. Um, yeah. And I, I, I think that's gold right there, and I think so many people miss that. Every single day is a job interview. Um, you know, it's funny. Josh, who, who is our producer here, does a great job with us, um, happens to work with my wife. Happened to work with a good friend of mine, and you know, such a small world, you never know. So, you know, when you say, "Hey, I, I here I am. I was unpaid, and I went up to five hundred dollars a month." Then a position opened up, and I got that position. You know, it was the hard work, it was the credibility that you had built that put you in that position. And I think people need to appreciate that. But um, so, what did you know? What teams did you work with during your time at Georgia Tech? And we'll get into the fact that it's you know past tense now a little bit. Yeah. But um, tell it's us so about I- that. So I started working for Neil Paduzzi, and he's actually at a private high school here now. I had three different bosses as far as the football side. John Sifts, who's actually right up the road at Georgia State, and then uh, Lou Corrala. But so I was an assistant for football. Then I was a head track and field strength coach after the second year. So starting the second year, uh, someone had left, and so it was a great transition. And that to me was one of the – it was definitely a great part of my job because I got to work with just different – I love football. I played football. And, but I, I wanted to be around some different people, so male and female, and who, who doesn't want to work with people that sprint and jump, right? So that's uh, it was great to, to work with him because I learned so much, not just on a training programming aspect, but a people aspect. And so you had track the whole time you were there, correct? Yeah, 9 out of 10. Nice. Uh, was that unusual? Because I know a lot of the Power Fives are getting away from that now, where you're just football. How were you able to hang on the track? Well, I was asked if I wanted to not have them anymore at one point i said no it just it's it was too enjoyable and i i think it worked because i i made it work i it's hard to say exactly why it worked it's just i continued to do my job on both ends and it was never any kind of i guess slipping of my duties and responsibilities to where it was like well zach can't manage both and i just seemed to navigate it fairly well and it, it was just something i didn't want to give up so i guess i was going to fight him tooth and nail I'm gonna they go, don't want to have that. They don't want to have that battle, I guess. I want to go loaded question now. Ooh. So you worked with male, female athletes. Who do you go. like? Who do you like more, male or female athletes training? Uh, that's a good question. I'm gonna say female, just so I can give them a lot of, a lot of, um, just pump them up because I, I did like I like both of them. I, I I really can't pick, but the females were great. And the, one of the big things too that I would say with recruits because the first thing they're gonna see, when the weight room, other than the weight room is gonna be me, and they think they're gonna do a football workout. Mm-hmm. And I would always tell them one of the first things that if if I make you to look like me, then I need to get fired. My job is not to get you bigger, right? So so don't – it's because there's a lot of apprehension, especially from the female athletes. And 
I think working with them was a great responsibility because I was like, hey, let me just, just give me some time and, and you'll see exactly what I can do for you. And it's not going to be, I'm not going to get you full blown and it's all about maximal gains and muscle or anything like that. So um, it was a proving ground and it, it was good for me. Now, let's take a second here because I think a lot of people don't know, like working Power 5 football, you wake up and you're already setting things up and you go to bed and you you probably have things set up and thinking about the next day. How did you have time to train track, train yourself, because obviously you have a you know back, background in strongman and stuff and still have some, some semblance of a enjoyable life outside of the weight room? I, I'm, I'm pretty meticulous about my schedule and I think a lot of it is being – setting down a plan and, and be, but being flexible. So I would always prepare, I'd get up early and I'd get food ready. I would always, almost almost every single time uh, eat before I left the house, make sure I had a good meal. I would make sure I had certain meals planned. And then if I had to take advantage of the cafeteria, I would, but I had a lot of stuff planned and just really, I, I would set out a schedule and I would, it would, and that's where somebody, like if I was training somebody and it was like they were 15, 30 minutes late, I would say, hey, look, you don't understand how important 30, 15, 30 mm -hmm. minutes are to me. So it's something like we got to be very prepared on the front end and proactive with our time. But you know how it is with football, especially these last two years, something always came up. And you, you just got to you gotta do the best you can with what you're given. So obviously training is, is tertiary to it all, and it's just going to take a back seat. So you just – even with that, you got to say, "Hey, I got X amount of time. What am I going to do? Right? You know, what are my majors?" And and that it, that helps me really solidify and focus on what I need to do in order to be successful. Uh, so it's really a lot on the just to just to just to sum it all up. It was it was planning, a lot of planning, a lot of time management. So as a guy that's competed, do you think being a strength coach helps or hurts you as a lifter? Uh, that's I don't I don't I don't want to speak for anybody else. I, I guess I'm only going to speak for me. I. I think it helps because it's here's the thing. It's very easy to call somebody out for not doing something, but you have to do it yourself. And so you don't even have to compete. I think as a strength coach, you should train. I don't think you have to compete per se, but you kind of forget what it's like to, okay, I got to make sure I get a certain amount of sleep. I got to like, I'm telling everybody to drink this, eat that and get enough sleep, but am I doing the same thing? So a lot of it, you just have to question your own self and you come back and say, am I doing those things? And you really have to become, coachable too because so when i did strongman and you go in there and you do say a law clean well clean is just in clean it's in the name only it's not a clean like <laughs> an olympic clean it is not a clean in any way even an axle clean is basically a continental clean that you set across mm. your belly and uh, just hopefully when you press it you don't drop the bar in your head i mean that's <laughs> they actually have rules like that so it's kind of like you learn how to do stuff technically sound but then you almost have to unlearn some of the stuff because really it's there are some rules to strongman, no doubt, but if you get it, you get it. So it's kind of, you got to, it's, it's a lot more brute strength and unorthodox. So being somebody that I thought was technically sound, I think a lot of times it hurt me. I had a good strength base, but it was like, no, you just kind of have to, it's one of those things like Yoda said, you got to unlearn something to, in order to learn something new. And you got to kind of just let go and, and go out there and yeah, you want to learn, but at the same time, you got to not be so rigid with what, you, what you're doing and what you've been taught yourself. See, I asked that because one of my one of my struggles as a strength coach for 20 years was when you're in the weight room for 12 hours, you might have to train afterwards, or you know sometimes yeah. you have to train before. And I mean, I hate to say it, but sometimes I lost that motivation on the day. Yeah. And and I think yeah. I'm a pretty motivated guy in the weight room, but there would just be days where I'm like, I I've been coaching the squat all day. I don't want to think yeah. squats. I don't want to squat. You know, yeah. did you deal with that? Oh, definitely. And for me, I was always 
and I, and I, I use the word always, but it's never always, but I, I always tried to get my training in as early as possible. Cause just even if it meant I had to get up even earlier, uh, but just like you, yeah, once you get doing, it becomes five, six o'clock. It's definitely very difficult to, to, to work it in. So it's, that's, that was something where I know, okay, Tuesdays, it might be my lighter day on the workload and with work. I know that's the day that I have to squat. If I'm going to squat any day, it's going to give me the most lead in time. That's the day I'm going to do it. So I, so I kind of just find the two days that I've had the most time and work, work around them. It's funny. I, I, I'm glad I wasn't the only one that would look at his semester and then draw his programming based around that. Oh, yeah, no in, doubt. In similar ways, yeah. you're looking like Monday, I'm slam Monday. Monday is going to be a 30-minute conditioning day. But Tuesday, yeah. I'm open. Man, I got time. That's going to be yeah. squat day. When, you know, and, you, and, and does it always make sense? No. Right. But I, I yeah, think yeah, it's fle- flexibility. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so like, there was there was always one, maybe two days where I had enough of a block to say, okay, this is the day I'm going to pull. This is the day I'm going to press. This gonna, or in a however squat or whatever. And then I'm and I'm a look. I'm I, I you don't see videos of this, but I use machines uh, just because your hammer doesn't make everything a nail. So I, I use machines and I'll do some bodybuilding stuff just for my own sense of peace of mind and recovery and and just to have the muscle size. Uh, so I'll, I'll go and do a bodybuilding session that lasts maybe 30 minutes. It'll be bam, 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 bam all the way through. And then if I have a day where I have 60 to maybe 90 minutes, that's where more I have the gross motor movements with a high axial load and musculoskeletal adaptation where I'm squatting, where I'm pressing and I'm doing, and I may only do like two or three things and that's it. And I do very little systems work. Then on the other days, I'll, I'll just fill in the gaps and that's not always the way it is, but that's, that's a general plan that I'll follow. So would you say you'd like to keep your training overall simple or do you like to cloud it up with a bunch of things? Obviously, I loaded that question if yeah. you can't see my face. Yeah. I, I just I mean, wanted to ask if he knew how to spell axial. Yeah. <laughs> it's like an A, you know, ah. Axel Rose sang about it. I don't know what I'm about. Now, if I'm going you know, to do some bodybuilding stuff and selectorize machines, it's, um, I'm a, I may sit down and not get up till I go to the next machine, and that's fine. Uh, but at the same time, you, have, you know, it's – and then that's a, it's a great question. Like I see people doing a lot of these variations and it's like, but you're not good at the, what it's the question. Do you need to be good at the foundational basic movement, then do variations or when do the variations become the actual movement and prove it in and of itself that it's own validity. Or do you need to say like, I need a squat and it just needs to be the squat. I don't need to put a chain on. I don't need to do a band. I don't need to do Paul, nothing, just a squat. Then, okay, I'm good at that. Then what, and then that's the question of coaching. I mean, how many licks at the center of a tissue roll pop? I would right. think, if you can't if you can't squat and that's your basic movement, why do you need to learn how to do much else? Now, that doesn't mean that you can't. Okay, you're not hinging right. You, you need a kettlebell swing, or you're weak in the art. Your uh, your posterior chain. You need already on glued ham raise. I'm not saying you don't do that, but at the same time, if a lot of and this is especially for beginners, you have to get good at one thing and have basic competency in order for you to do some higher. And I love cleans. I'm an Olympic based coach, but I think even when you look in a horizontal integration and block periodization, you just you got to you got to dose it accordingly. You can't just like the first thing I did. And this was my biggest mistake with track when I first started. My first year, I was like, I want to show you how smart I think I am, and we're gonna jump, we're gonna throw, we're gonna clean, we're gonna squat, we're gonna box squat too. And it's like, and you're like, oh, but then your coach actually did some death jumps out in practice wearing a weighted vest, and you know, I'm gonna come in and I'm actually just gonna teach you how to land today. It's kind of like, you know, it's a cart before the board. So it's basically, I just said. What do we need to get better at? Let's slow this down and, and just take our time and, and just it, I, it needs to be a crock pot. You know, it's not sink or swim. It shouldn't it shouldn't be a, a complete pass or fail. And that's just more how I see training in general. I think people need basics now more than ever. 
A couple great points there. One, and I, I know probably my biggest program, pro, programming mistake through my career is coming up under kind of the West Side mentality was too many variations too soon. Like you said, yeah. if you can't squat, why are you worried about 10 variations of squat? If you can't deadlift, yeah. why are you worried about rack pulls? Um, but I think that was a great point. I, and, and this one, I, I want to delve into what you just said there. Um, you know, if a coach has you, you did 200 jumps during practice or some absurd amount of jumps, and I'm going to come in and do three sets of three jumps like I'm making a difference. Yeah, um, right. I, I've often said, especially with those athletes, when, you know, if you look at the force velocity curve and talk about surfing the curve, getting those fast, getting those slow, getting everything in between, um, my belief, my, well, my belief had always been, thank you, uh, I stole it, don't worry, from someone. Uh, it's all good. <laughs> my belief has always been, honestly, a lot of that, you know, the jumping stuff, I can. It's taken care of in practice. Yeah. My job's mm-hmm. more that middle and top, where I'm working on strength, power, and you know what? They've already done their plyometrics. Like, go to a track yeah. practice. Uh, yeah. Where did you fall on that later in your that career? Was, yeah. Now, so, just I can. And again, I'm gonna speak specifically to track, and this is something that. So it kind of took this, this, not even the second, the third year. Is like, guys, we have got. I have got to have them sooner before you start doing anything with them. I can't be competing with their soreness. So if, if, if you're going to be just doing just like a general adaptive phase of running and you're going to do slow, steady state jogging, just I need to get them at least two weeks before you do anything with them. And that's just to get them sore. And it was kind of like, it's just, I'm just, I was just trying to get them sooner and sooner just to get their soreness, just to teach them. And a lot of the jumping, yeah, I kept it very, very low level, whether it's box jumps. And I would use landing drills in order as cues for the cleans, like, hey, snap a picture. This is how you land when you jump. This is how you land when you clean. Let's just look at just some basic postural and strength in certain postural movements. But, I, yeah, but I wouldn't go – it wasn't until – and that's the issue with a lot of – if you're a track coach out there, you have to know what your coaches are doing because I had three different coaches. And one coach, he's, he's never going to do anything different. So they needed – they could do a little bit more jumping. He's, they're going to run around the track, and he's going to time them, and they're going to do different distances, and that's, he's not going to do sled anything. And that's his prerogative. So but some the other coach – you, it's almost like, hey, he's going to go out there and he's going to do bounding with a bar in the back. And that's something, too, you just have to have a dialogue with some of the athletes that if you have something programmed, say, okay, we're not going to do that today. And, and you have the responsibility or the right as an athlete to at the very least ask me. I may not agree with you and I may say no, but at the same time, you're, it's, you're perfectly open at any point in time to ask me why we're doing something. I may not give you a complete answer at that particular time just because we're having to do, having to go forward, but but if I can't explain it, then there's a, I shouldn't be doing it. So, but there was a lot of athletes, it's, and that's something learning the athletes like, oh, I just don't want to do that today. That's different than hey, we actually just got done doing this at practice, and can we do something a little bit different? And, and you know, so air to the side of caution on it. But I didn't do a whole lot of jumping after that first year, second year, because I figured out they were just doing so much at practice, and we kept more of the, I don't want to say jumping, but the high velocity stuff into into the actual Olympic lifting. So with that stuff, you kind of have to coach on the fly. It seems to. I, Was it program it? Yeah. I think program it, but then yeah, if, if it's if it's something, yeah, you're. But that's why you're there, right? Right, yeah. right. I, f- I feel like a lot of younger co- coaches, when you have to say, "Hey, uh, this is not going to work. What do I do next?" They kind of have a deer in the headlights look. Uh, did it take you time to learn that, or was it easy for you because you were a little, you know, uh, more mature and when you started? Well, there? So what I so what I look at, uh, and this can you can apply this almost anything, CJ, is a hierarchy of training. Uh, it's okay. Um, you can't squat today, or you can't front squat, okay? And so if you can't front squat with a clean grip, so we're going to use straps. Okay, you can't front squat with a clean strip with straps. Okay, we're going to do the crossover grip. Uh, you can't do that either. Okay, we're going to goblet squat. Mm-hmm. Okay, you can't goblet squat. We're going to leg press. 
Okay, you can't leg press, you're going to leg extension. <laughs> but if you go all the way down the hierarchy, you're going to get to the sort of points like you probably can't do any of this. Or you, there's something actually wrong and we need to actually address something bigger. Or just like a clean, you can't catch a clean. All right, so we're going to try a high pull. And, you know, just kind of you take your hierarchy and whatever it is, you don't go from, hey, you can't front squat to you're going to do leg extensions. You mm-hmm. just skipped a whole lot of exercises here, whether even a pitch shark, if you have access to that or a belt squat. So I just think just like with anything, you just kind of go down the hierarchy. Okay, I can't do this. What's the next one I can do? Uh, what's the next? We had one athlete. He had, he couldn't pull from the floor, do cleans. So we did a lot of hang cleans or hang snatches. But even that, after a while, he just got tired of doing them. So what's the next rate of force developed movement that he could do? Okay, can he do a dumbbell squat jump or a bar squat jump? You know, something like that. Okay, uh, or a box jump. Something along those lines where there's some kind of external resistance. There's still triple extension and rate of force development. So it's just, I think you started... And you don't have to start at the highest point of the hierarchy. It's just you start at the highest point of whatever your exercise is, and you work your way down. Now, if you may have somebody, and this is where you're just you knowing the situation, oh, you don't need to do you. You don't even you may just need to today do very little. You like your okay. Your issue is actually you have an ankle issue, and you don't you need to actually do leg extension. And we're just skipping a lot of steps here. So that's a, that's the difference of knowing. But more often than not, move down your hierarchy. Hey, Zach, uh, I guarantee nobody on this podcast has ever done a bar squat jump before. Can you, can you describe what that is to us? It sounds like torture and maybe something our members would like to try. Uh, Zach, right, so, that was uh, uh, Jesus speaking from upstairs because you didn't right. see anyone. <laughs> so, hey, Zeus. Yeah. And so, we look, we steal things from everybody, right? And so I think Chris Beardley, he, in his uh, Strength is Specific book, he has a lot of great points to bring home that when we talk about, CJ, the axial load with squatting, and a full range of motion squat, and I, 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 look, you guys know I do full range of motion squats, and I use them with the athletes, but a lot of them, too, and my dog has found his bones, so, so a lot of them, give a dog a bone, of them, I think it's stuck in his paw. Call the vet, emergency vet. One second. Oh, look at this guy's right. haircut. That's actually your haircut. Uh, I look so, cool. All right, so, um, so one of the points he makes up is that even though a squat is an axial load, that you want to do some in a vertical movement, you want to do some horizontal movements, like even kettlebell swings or even as a big proponent of uh, glute, uh, glute bridges with hip extension with weighted because your, your glute is contracting and at a high velocity at a short range of motion. So one of the other things he does, and we can talk quarter squats, is, a quarter, is the squat jump. So the easiest way to do that is the first thing you do is you just say, okay, how do you, squat, or how do you jump squat correctly? And I'll just teach them with no arm movement, put their hands across their shirt. They go down, push their knees out and forward, go to the quarter position. They jump, they stick it, and they stand. So that's a single response jump. And so then we'll do reactive jumps where they're actually having a little bit more stretch shortening cycle where they'll jump, they'll land into it and jump again. And so they're landing with correct postural technique and under control, no valgus. And so then we'll hold dumbbells because it's below the center of gravity. The problem with dumbbells after a while is that you kind of get to a – there's a, a limit of what weight they can use because if you get too big of dumbbells, they're going to hit your thighs and because of people's grips. So then we progress into the bar and the bar, you kind of just have to pull the bar down a little bit. And basically you can either do the single response jumps and you kind of regress the progress. Since you now you have an external resistance, go to a single response jump before you do the reactive. And you just basically you rapidly go down to a quarter squat. You jump as high as you can get full triple extension and you need, and you land with your knees bent a little bit. Right. And then, and then, so you jump, you stick and you stand. And then, then after however many cycles or training sessions, then, you, then I start to do reactive ones. And it's about 30% of your squat max or so. Always, again, always err to the side of caution, 20, 25%.
So I want to change uh, subjects here because there's a lot of things we could go into here, and I, we could go on for about two hours. And Josh would probably punch me in the face if we did. But what what are your best lifts? What and I don't mean like you know I I, I did you know the best squat of 500, or or I'm sorry that's bench. Your best squat's probably closer to seven. This is curls. Yes, yeah. Cur bench 500. Well, but what what are those lifts for you? You know you've competed and you're probably the best generalist I know. Because Ooh, yeah. farmers carries heavy. Yeah, like you, carries, you, yeah. you don't do your farmer carries are good. Your bench is good. Your squat is good. Your clean is good. So, what are those lists for you that are the most memorable? The ones for you personally that you just love, whether it be competing or even training. Oh, that's a good question. I, you know, I don't. I think I've gone through phases. I remember when I got done playing football, uh, I didn't bench for months, and all. So we we did all this phase where all we did were dumbbell shoulder presses and dumbbell incline and. And then uh, bench was my favorite one. Uh, when in doubt, squat's always been my favorite. Uh, I just can't do it as frequent. Uh, there was a time where push jerk was my, like, I got to get better push jerk. And I got to better this or hang clean or clean. Um, so I just, I, I don't know if I've had one other than I've always loved the squat. I just like the, the uh, primal, uh, I don't know, I don't want to say archaic, which is like the, the, the movement itself, I've always loved it, and I and it's I even find even now at 43 how much the alterations in some of my technique over all these years, like, oh, why are my feet so wide and start to bring them back in and this and that. So, uh, what I'm saying is even I'm still learning and you know adapting to different ways to do it. Uh, so I've always loved the squat. I've gone through periods of time where I've loved the bench, the, like I said, the push jerk, the clean. Uh, so it's always just changed. Farmers is uh, yeah, CJ Farmers is a definitely. I think part of that comes. I'm gonna thank my dad because. Uh, I guess he said if you wanted to eat, you need to come to work. You know, so he, he would actually pay me in, in Big Macs. And Let's Bill, put that Bill on the back of a T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to eat, yeah. no child labor laws here. No child labor laws here. Uh -huh. So it got to the point where he was he was feeding me so much uh, that it got actually it was just cheaper just to pay me money, and then I could figure out food for myself. Uh, but but I you know I grew up swinging a hammer and doing manual labor and shingling a roof and all that kind of stuff and. So I'm, I was fortunate to, I guess, to say have grip work, right? You know, it wasn't towards the end of working for him that we actually had a uh, an air gun and a you know a power uh, nailer or whatever you call them. So uh, yeah, but it's just so my grip and moving and, and having that little bit more athletic base is always it's, it's worked to my advantage. But now these strongmen now it's just the two things that I've always kept kept me back is stone loading and, and deadlifting. Uh, there's this contest this weekend and they're going to do a 500 pound deadlift a 600 pound deadlift then they're actually going to do a car deadlift and that's just part of the medley there's no rest oh my so it's kind of, you know it's, it's uh it's an arms race it's just uh these guys it's just it's it's uh and to me like to get really much better at deadlift how much do i need to do is it like to, to get five pounds ten pounds stronger that's kind of where i'm at in my training it's like what what like there's certain things i'm just not going to do anymore right and so it's kind of like well how, it, what do i have to do and destroy my body just to get 15 10 pounds more and that's so right now I'm getting a little bit more selective, I, was, I would think. Uh, I, I have to tell this lifting story. And as with any of my stories, it's about 3% true. Mm -hmm. But it's so much better when I tell it now in my memory. Don't let the facts get in the way of a good story. That's yeah. what I'm saying. He caught a fish this big. So, so you know the first saying? time that fish I caught was oh, this yeah, big. Definitely. Um, the first time me and Zach met, I think, I think this is the first time we met in person, was down in Nashville. And I'm in there yeah, tra yeah. training at Tennessee State. And I was training with yeah. Ryan, Ryan Nozak. Yeah. yeah. And... We're in there training, hate breeds cranking, and yes. yeah, having some fun. And I, I remember, I think we we pulled like 405 for like 17 or something. Like you know, it was a hard set for for us. 
And I remember I hear this voice come from the corner, and it says, Todd Hammer's here. Oh, things are getting crazy or something like that. And I look, and there's this six foot four, 310-pound dude rolling in. And I'm pretty sure he walked over and snatched the 405. <laughs> like, no warm-up, cold turkey, whatever. Beard like um, Zeus. He was doing cleans with the weight I was deadlifting. And I was like, <laughs> and I, I, I mean, I went from 200 pounds to 146 in that moment. I still have that, like, still have that picture that we took. It was I great. sulked into the corner. Yeah, we, I think we took a picture, too, where Zach at 6'4", 300 pounds, and me at, you know, 146 pounds after it all happened. He's on the platform. So he's now 6'6". Six, six. Yeah. You know, it's like... I, oh, I, I totally went for the out angle, didn't I? Yeah, yeah. Let, let, let's make it look even more awkward. Out angle I, the heck yeah, out of it. I, I remember that day. That was, uh, you know, that was when TJ Greenstone was at Tennessee State and he invited us over. And and, the, and the, I guess, the really, Todd, let's be honest, the most memorable part about that was that I got to lift with a fellow strength coach to hate breed. And that's really all that matters to me. You and, know? you know, that's the thing about lifting. Oh, it's... Because I really have no, I, I don't remember what, what I actually lifted that day. I just remember hate breed and you doing sumo deadlifts for like three days in a row. <laughs> yeah, and don't worry, you were cleaning my sumo deadlift weight. But I, I think that's the best thing about lifting is just those, hey, we were at this place and we all yeah, trained definitely. together and had fun. Yeah. And, I mean, you came up and trained with us for a couple of days in Pittsburgh. And, like, yeah, those, that was those awesome. are, that's the, I mean, that's why we train, I think. You know, it's that, it's that moment of just, we're just, it, we're just for an hour and a half in our world. Yeah, and I can my one claim to fame at training at uh, your your at RMU was that uh, the the great Casey Williams spotted me, and that's really Whoa. you know this you know it's all that matters, right? I I tell you what, I it it taught me a lot because Casey is so explosive, and I've used this analogy a thousand times. Watching you and him train, I just remember watching, and he was like watching a sport bike, like it's just explosive. It popped, and you were like watching a trash compactor. It just kept moving. Like you had torque and he had horsepower. And I think when you look at lifters, not just the style they train in, but also what they naturally are. Casey's naturally an athletic lifter. You're a, you're a, you know, you're a Mack truck lifter. God, you, yeah, you, uh, some, one of my coworkers, Steve, he would always talk about that. He said, you know, just kind of, and you're right. I think you, you hit the nail on the head that I was in the, you know, kind of in the middle there that you got your, you got your cheetahs and your, your elephants and your rhinos or whatever. And just, um, and guys, you got you know how they are. They're just so explosive. It's feast or famine. If they miss, they're going to miss full speed, mm-hmm. and or they make it, then they're, they're going to do five pounds less, and they're going to like, oh man, you got a hundred pounds left in you. Then they put five pounds more, and they miss it. Right. And that was Casey, yeah. Yeah. Whereas with you, the bar always kind of kept moving, and and that that day will always stick with me because watching that contrast, I think you see learn so much watching different lifters from different styles doing different lifts. But um, we have to talk about music because you are from Atlanta. Mm. And me and CJ are both Atlanta music fans. I want to hear about you crowd surfing circa 1999, <laughs> some concerts. You got come on, you got a good story. There's got to be some. I was never, story. I was never the crowd surfer. It was always like, hey, throw me up on stage, or you know, and you kind of you actually learn how to do some gymnastic throws and this and that. So, so I would think that uh, we would get together as a crew, and I guess I could say that word, the crew. We'd get together and we went to a place called the Masquerade, which. Unfortunately, it's actually getting repurposed for another building. They're not tearing down the whole building, but they're retro, what do you call it, retrofitting it or whatever. So Masquerade has moved to the underground Atlanta, but it's right on North Avenue in a bad part of town. And you always had to go with your buddies. And it was like, all right, turn around every five seconds, kind of keep your head on the swivel. You never, you know, it was very dangerous. And now the most dangerous thing down there is stepping on dog poop. So it's, definitely, <laughs> what a change. it's, it's changed a lot. It's you know? a different yeah, so world. We, it is diff- It is very different, and for the better. I mean, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not trying to 
go back to the to the like even the the house that I live on here when my dad originally got the house it didn't have street lights and there was uh, street lamps or nothing and there was a lot of crime through here and it, even that has changed and it has it's changed for the better but yeah we go up to the masquerade and sometimes some of the bigger places or even smaller places but masquerade it had heaven hell and purgatory you know and so uh, and so you you would go in and you'd walk in into the right down in uh, hell would be a the, the bubble party and then you know everybody's doing the glow sticks and having the bubble party and then we're up there, that's where you know, cj is to, yeah cj i got a lot of places man yeah. yeah we're going up you know mail and manson or whatever and that was and i think i don't look i don't know what it is now i i seem to think that there's no real a lot of rock bands or metal bands around and the ones that are it's like the greatest hits tour you know it's just yeah you know, I, I don't want to say back in my day, but I think in the 90s when you had Slayer, when you had Crowbar, you had Pantera, you had all these corn, you had Deftones, all these bands used to come through, even these weird ones like Jenna Torturers or Guar, you know, and Guar's, they got these, you know, like fetuses and they're, you know, they're showing them up. Spraying and just blood, yeah. You know, just like, oh my God, what am I watching here? You know, and, you know. uh, but we both know you have that that spot in your heart for Cinderella and the greatest album oh, yeah, ever. No doubt. Night yeah, songs, no. the greatest hair metal album ever. You know, you know, and I and, and to say uh, Cinderella and Poison, yeah, I I guess I had to. I at least love Twisted Sister and, and, uh, and you know the hair bands and and uh, it was. I guess maybe I, I like more the theatrics of some of it too. And I, and I don't know what that says exactly. That I think that you know. You know, you look at Slipknot, which I think are actually accomplished artists, but there's something draws to you, like the, the mask, and it's, oh, it's not about how we look. Or even, uh, what is it, um, the guy just died, uh, MF Doom, MF you know, Doom, he wore yeah. a mask, right? And he's like, hey, it's, 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 it's not about how we look. You know, the first time you see Corey Taylor without a mask on, you're like, oh, my God. You know, <laughs> wait, but, wait, you know look, at, look, at, look at Kiss. I mean, Kiss didn't do really well once they took their makeup off, you know, and they, they went back to it. I think of Corey Taylor. I always think of that uh, "Through the Glass" song. Yeah. Stone Sour, and it just the country it, song. Didn't he do country album? Uh, I don't know. With the, I hope not. But MF Doom. Tread lightly when you speak on Corey Taylor. MF. Oh, no. I, I've oh. seen. I'll take you out right I've now. I've seen Hammer. Slipknot only once, and they're with Lamb it's of God. Josh's and as a Lamb of God <laughs> fanboy, Lamb of God blew him out of the water. Oh really? Uh, but I, 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 this was on uh, the uh, documentary about uh, Lamb of God, and I remember uh, Randy Bly said this, and he said, yeah. I, don't, "I don't know what it is. It's a visceral, it's a visceral response." And that to me defines music. Like you're looking for that response, you, and it's yeah. the same as being a strength coach. What are you trying to do when someone enters room? It's a visceral response. You're trying to get some response from the athlete. Right. Musicians, MF Doom, great example. Um, it was funny today. It hit me that MF Doom, you may not know, this was on a third bass song. If you remember the song uh, "Gas Face" from Third Base, the rap band in '90s, MF Doom mm-hmm. was 18 years old. I forget what he went by, but he was on that song. So I sent it to one of our trainers here and was like, "I know you're an MF Doom guy. This was the MF Doom when he was 18, and he went really? by some strange name on a third bass album." But um, but that ties really well into my next question about comic books because I know. A few years back, you were at Comic Con or something, and you had an extra medium shirt you'd put on. And I That's said, normal. "Hold on, you're not you're not narrowing it down." <laughs> and I said, "Zach, did they not have a shirt in like you know large dude size?" And you said, "Yeah, Comic Con doesn't make shirts for me. <laughs> and it was like a Hulk shirt or a Superman or something." I know so you're a big. You do is... <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. I was gonna say, I know you're a big reader and comic book guy. One, how did that come about? Two, you know what what, what 
what do you recommend for people as far as reading, as far as comic books, oh, wow. as far as cultural, you know, diversifying yeah, themselves? Yeah. So when I was a kid, we down in, uh, I used to live in Mableton, it's outside Atlanta here. I walked up to the store and it was basically in, in this is kind of before the direct market. We could still, and look, I think I'll, I'm not asking for anybody to thank me, but at 43, I'd like to think I had some part in the multi-billion dollar industry that nerds and geeks and outcast weirdos are like, you never used to tell anybody you read comic books. It was like, what do you read? No, 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 you know, nothing. You kind of just, you know, you're closing it up and you know, you hide them in your desk as a kid or whatever. And it's just, it was, they were, they were definitely not as accepted as they are now. And you, and the direct market, you have the comic book stores, but you could find comic books at a lot of places uh, when you were young, like seven 11 gas stations. And so this was like a baseball card shop. And so I walk in and there's, there's this black woman with white hair and there's this dude with claws popping out and there's this big muscle guy with a uh, chrome steel body. And there's this guy shooting lasers out of his eyes and another dude sitting in a chair that's in a wheelchair. And it's, it's like, Holy crap, what is this? And it was the X-Men and, and it, you know, the mutants, the outcasts and you, and they had this comic, it was called classic X-Men. It was basically reprints from the late seventies. Cause Chris, Chris Claremont was on it for like 20 years. Almost Wait, everything. You're getting Josh. Josh is jumping up and down his chair. Here. He's like, this is, I know. I'm with them. Terrible yeah, towels so, waving. And it's like, it's just like, what is this? And like, why, I just was hooked out that. And, and obviously everyone else loves, you know, I love Batman, but you know, in the Hulk, it's like, the Hulk and, you know, right. The Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde motif and all this is like, don't, he just, he, uh, and I, you know, as a kid, you kind of, you watch TV and, and way back when CJ, you'd actually had to get up and change the channels or you went, you know, from I don't have a clicker channels. now, man. It's, it's the same time. Same yeah. time. That's yeah, it's, yeah. Hip, it's hipster now, not that remote. <laughs> I don't no, have a remote yeah. as I drink my coffee. Yeah. You know, in the old, you know, in the, in the, uh, Lou Ferrigno and, uh, uh, Bill back, uh, Baxby, I can't, I just forgot his name, uh, Baxby. Yeah, they did the show, the Hulk show. Yeah. And so it was just like, you were familiar with the Hulk, but it was kind of like, it was, you didn't have to learn about a lot about the Hulk to get into it. Right. He just, he's going to piss him off. He's going to go in a rage, but the X-Men was cool. It had so many different cool characters and artists and all that. And that's kind of how it just got started and it branched out from there. And I read for a lot of time and just like a lot of people, high school hit and then high school, the things of high school, uh, took over and I didn't read for years and it wasn't until uh, that that writer Chris Claremont he came back to the X-Men and I'd heard about it somehow when I was in college I think graduate school or something I was like man he's coming back to the X-Men I, I want to see what this is like and I went up and I found a local comic book store and that's and I just started back up again I was like wow I've missed a lot right and I just started you know picking stuff up again and and comics have changed too because now they're very reprint heavy so you can find a lot of really good reprints to where they're in the trade paperbacks. So you can get a lot of stories without having to go get a, and comics have changed too. They're used, they're used to be on a little more newspapery, pulpish mm -hmm. kind of paper. And uh, now they're kind of glossy and overpriced, but you can get it, but you can get a lot cheaper as a reprint. You know, is, is, so and that's, so that's what I do a lot of. See, I, you, you text, this was a while back and you may not remember it, but you text me a year ago and you said, Hey, Whatever, I was thinking about you because I was reading, and I forget what you were, it was like To Kill a Mockingbird or some classic. Yeah. And you're like, in, in this line, I just, it kind of made me think this, and you text me, and I was like, I love this guy. What kind of strength coach is sitting on the subway on the way home reading To Kill a Mockingbird or whatever? And I don't even remember what you were reading, but it was, again, it was a classic. And I think so many young people get into the profession, and they think, go, 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 gas, gas, gas. And you know, you have to have that other that other outlet, the other side of you. And I think whether it be art, and I know you know you you like art and comics and reading and literature. I think so many people are afraid to express that side of them early on in the profession. 
Well, so I think a lot of people say, well, like, what book do I need to read? And automatically, when as a strength coach, yeah, we're going to give our list of, of, of strength conditioning books. Like, well, why don't you read a book like Ender's Game or something like that to see the power of a kid and how they're, in a way, manipulated to do something at the will of an older person and somebody in charge, and but also how strong a young person can be and that you don't always look at a bigger person and think that they're going to be great at something. Look at somebody that's undersized or in, like – intelligence is a strong factor in competition and let's look at just look at it different ways and books do that books they break down just i guess in a way a lot of stereotypes you gotta it's not just about a training book it's about how you relate to people too and i think that's what books do it helps you learn how to relate and you can have you can be a master technician and excellent of those but if you can't talk to people it's like they're, they're going to tune out pretty quick and i think that's what helped too like oh who's going to win between thor and hulk well you know you know there's this, this is what I think will happen or whatever, but uh, especially Georgia Tech with all the Star Wars stuff. I don't know exactly. I don't necessarily do it because it's for somebody else. I just I, I think reading helps calm me down and center myself. And I just and, and, and I enjoy it. And, and to say what comic book somebody should read, that's the beauty of them. There's so many different genres, just like books. You know, there's just so many different genres to choose from, whether it's Fifty Shades of Grey to, to Harry Potter and, and or to whatever it is. It's something I just think just reading people say like oh it's they don't want to do it because it takes time but that's why you got to do it because there's times when i'll read a paragraph four times over it's alphabet soup that's why you have to do it because it slows you down and it it forces you to try to have some comprehension and piece it all together and it and you're not always gonna i've, I've read a book and like I'm, I'm a chapter in i'm like what is going on like dune i put it down after i started reading i said i'm not reading this and i was like no i, I got to do this and so i started rereading again and i just got that first chapter done and then you, you know, it don't completely still make sense to me, but it made sense to me once I just kept going with it. And, and, and I've put, but don't get me wrong, Todd, I've put books away and I'm like, okay, that's not for me. But sometimes like that's part of the process is trying to, trying to figure out what is going on. You know, right. It's funny. I had two thoughts when you were saying that. And one was when people ask me, what books do I read? I say, what book do you want to read? Because yeah. to me, science and practice, strength training. If you want to be a strength coach, start with science and practice. It's pretty easy yeah. to read. It's easy. You, it, you can, it's digestible. It's not too long. It's not super training. That's a good start. But are you actually going to want to read it? Are you going to be engaged right. with that book? And a friend yeah. of uh, one of my mentors as an attorney gave me Kafka. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, and, oh, I love it. Yeah, yeah, and I remember like I read it, and that's one of those books that still haunts me. You know, the trial yeah. where he's in this. Yeah kind of a, a almost Orwellian universe. Yeah, well, it's Kafkaesque. That's what he, I mean, yeah. he created the term, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, before, yeah, so I, actually that was pre-Orwellian universes. Right. He, he was the original. And to me, that book still haunts me because, you know, it taught me so much about culture, about myself, about communication. And it had nothing to do with that. And I think so nothing, many people yeah. who don't read literature will never understand that. Right. Um, what that book taught me when I, I'm still unwrapping what it taught me. Definitely. You know, yeah, and, yeah. Kafka is one of the, the best ones. There's some of the stuff is like, okay, I hate this, but yeah, his his uh, the trial, his metamorphosis is, uh, and the hunger artist is a great one. The penal colony is a great one. Yeah, this. I mean, to think, Todd, you know that he wanted to burn all that stuff or throw it away, and he told his friend to destroy all of it when he died. When he died, his friend didn't. So a lot of the stuff that we actually have is because he went against the, a dying man's wishes, which is crazy. I'm glad he did. Because it still yes, it still it still haunts me. That's pretty hard. Yeah. It, it still absolutely yeah. haunts me. Well, hey, listen, we have on on for an hour already, man. Um, this really. is gonna be one of our record long ones, which I think is awesome. CJ, you got any other uh, 
queries. My, I mean, my right? mind's blown. I'm going to have to check out this cough. I've never heard of it before. Kafka. Yeah, I know. I can't talk. That's why I've never heard about <laughs> well, it. The one that, the one that most right. people are familiar with is metaphor, metamorphosis because he turns into a beetle. But once you start to look at it, it's like it's not a literal it's not a literal meaning that he turns into beetle. He is something that is now grotesque that nobody wants to be around. I think and I've that, actually now, heard of that one. I think yes, I've heard isolation. Of this one. Uh, Henry yeah. Rollins wrote some uh, some similar stuff, but in his he's oh, much, yeah. he's much more clear about it. So you should read some early of Henry's. You probably read early's Henry or Henry Rollins' early stuff, and he's and just out in left yeah. field. But it's awesome. Yeah, I, I, I've listened more to his, spoke, I guess, spoken word and yeah. some of his, his story, how he was working in a restaurant or something like that. And some guys are like, hey, we like what you did or something. You want to join this band? And like, and that's where it started. That's how it all started. But yeah, his his early reading, his early books, which he couldn't get published, so he just started his own company. Self-published, yeah. self-published and started a publishing uh-huh. company. But his early writing is mind-blowing. You should You should check it out. You should check it out. I think I will. I need to write it down. You're not writing. <laughs> well, it, it's all on will, record. <laughs> well, CJ, I will tell you his his video. If you're you know a big video guy, liar is, is is probably the best video of all time. It's a, that's know? a great video. Yeah. There's a there's a lot yeah. to unpack in that song. Okay. It's yeah. On the YouTube's. It, it is. Well, Zach, man, I loved having you here. Yeah, it's always great to talk to you. When we host our strength and conditioning cl- clinic here, we are flying Zach Reed up. We're having him train here. CJ. <laughs> I'm all for it. Hang, hang out. <laughs> CJ is in charge of that. Yeah. Because I just announced it right this second. You know what? We'll do We'll do one better. Hammer is uh, buying a van. We'll trick it out. Road trip down to you. Pick you up in style and bring you here. Yeah, I'm going to have to show you the... Actually, if I have my keychain, a former intern was in, and she bought me this keychain. You can't see it, but it says, Love everyone, travel everywhere, and destroy everything. And she said, this will be your van keychain. Wow. So this is the official van. I'm buying a minivan, and we are tricking it out just for camping. And it's got a bike ha- rack. It's going to be fun. Todd, how, how many times have you had to explain destroy everything to the common layman that's like, man, this song is so negative. Angry. angry well, music. true so story, angry. Tenzig, his last year in daycare, before he went off to kindergarten, is in there, and he's singing it. Destroy everything. And he gets in trouble because you can't say destroy everything in daycare. And the daycare lady's like, Tenzig, you can't say it. He's like, no, I'm destroying everything. She's like, Tenzig, you can't say that. And this goes back and forth. And finally, he, he says to me, Dad, I, I said to her, the song's not about destroying the bad things. Like, trees and your house will stay. He wants to yeah. destroy the bad things, like the guns and the things that hurt people. And it didn't help. He still got in trouble. <laughs> but yeah. uh, he, knows the he has his first concert coming up this summer. So let's all hope that concerts are a thing again this summer. Anyone in particular, or just whatever comes up? Uh, my newest uh, musical hero, Jason Isbell. He's a guy, an alt country guy, but he okay. is uh, really just Google him. I think you would dig like his message. Okay, what's his name? Jason Isbell. I S B E L L. I think it's a Z. S. Is S okay? S. Don't don't get lippy with me. <laughs> He has a uh, really interesting song that uh, was the one that really caught me. It's called White Man's World, and it's about him growing up in rural uh, Alabama dealing with uh, what he thought he knew of the world as a white man growing up in rural Alabama and how many kind of neat – and that's kind of how I got into him. It was like he's dealing with things a lot of people where he's from wouldn't deal with. He's thinking differently than people that he was around. So that's what kind of got me digging him, so – yeah, so yeah. we have tickets. We'll see if it happens. 
yeah, product business environment. Yeah. Well, yeah. Hopefully, and uh, hopefully, yeah, things are going to start to pick up for a lot of people. It's, uh, it's uh, we're living through history, right? <laughs> it's been a weird week, time. man. Yeah. <laughs> the last week's been weird. Well, Zach, again, thanks for coming on. Do you have any uh, parting thoughts, messages for any of us out any here in sweet Pittsburgh? Yoda quotes you want to drop on us? Uh, Wisdom. Uh, well, I mean, no real Yoda quotes. I just the. the to, to, there is no try there's only do or do not and you know that's always a classic one but I would say that you know even with COVID and all this that one of the things that I do listen to and follow is the Stoicism and Marcus Aurelius and to know that he actually went through a uh, plague in while he was the emperor that they would burn incense just to cover up the, the smell of dead people right and so I think history is definitely can teach us a lot and and going I, I don't want to say that what we are doing has been done before because modern civilization is so brand new and we're trying to just keep up with technology i don't know if we are growing as fast as some of our technology and i think that's why it's important for us to stay rooted and grounded and whether whether it's training and all the new trends and everything and the pendulum swings so fast that we can't keep up it but we gotta i just as long as we continue with the basics and and keep with up with human relationships i mean because that's the end of the day what it's all about right exactly man well zach it was awesome having you here um can't wait to root for your team next year mm -hmm. uh whoever that may be mm -hmm. we know it'll be someone excited so we can't wait we will be the number one fans we expect to get our t-shirts <laughs> um, and whenever the game's in pittsburgh we're there brother all right good deal all right guys it's uh, great cj it's great to see you even though you have all your tattoos and muscles covered up hidden uh, yeah they're hidden so, i was scared uh, to present them in front of you you know Show, you, oh, can, no, you, you can show you can show this. Oh, you this oh, one. check this one out. You haven't seen this one. This is a Godzilla one. You might not be able to wow. see it. Gojira. Well, yeah. yeah, Gojira. <laughs> Very good. Oh, Very good. Oy. I'm not surprised see? that you knew that at all. <laughs> we can't tell. We'll tell you this other story another time. But okay, we, yeah, we'll do that. We got yeah. We'll go off air. Tell a lot of stories. <laughs> Thanks, man. Awesome seeing Bye, you. Yeah, Take care. You as well. See you. Cheers. Yeah. So, man, Andy Rooney from the end of 60 Minutes circa 2004 is with us now. And you know what really uh, hurts me? <laughs> so, yo, it's my time to shine. Ham gibs and gabs all the time now. He doesn't know when to back up. So, <laughs> this week and last week, the two of the smartest dudes we've had on the podcast, probably, for sure. Who yes. was last week? Huh? Who was last week? Well, two weeks Cancer. ago was... Uh, oh, Rick, yeah. Rick. Old Rick. Uh, so many people come to us with questions about what to do for training, and they muddy it up with all this madness. Too much. Madness. And Zach Reed said it perfectly. He said, build the basics, and then worry about the extra stuff before the extra stuff becomes the real stuff. Don't major in a minor. So, I mean, what, what do we need to do to, do to get through to people that... Uh, you can just do the basics, and it is sexy. You know, it's hot. It's good looking. Is that H-A-W-T? Yeah. Okay, just checking. Uh, the, the problem... Because if I say, the, hey, man... The problem is they're hard. Squat. Squats are hard. Deadlifts are hard. But aren't they, aren't they also sexy because they're hard? You know what I'm saying? You know what grinds my ears? Glute bridges. They're easy. That's people why love, people love glute bridges. And you could load them up. How much do they really build the booty compared to a squat and a deadlift? This is why our leg press is great. Most leg presses are easy. This leg press is hard. Ours is hard! Right. Rick basically said do something... That sucks. That sucks. Every day. 
30 to 60 minutes. I just rode a 2K. I hate rowing. And you'll probably come out on the better end. I almost had a heart attack. I'm old. Well, you know what, man? Yes. Dude. What, what can we do to make people's lives better? Make it suck more sometimes. You think people are afraid to make things suck? Like, they'll exercise, but they'll walk on the treadmill and not get sweaty, and then they said they exercised. Or they'll do, like, some two-pound kettlebell stuff. Yeah, like, yeah. how do we make it suck for them to make it happen? You know, one of our very wise trainers here created a quad, quadra, quad, you know, four squares. What are those called again? And, and on the x-axis, it said, will it make me better? On the y-axis, it said, do I enjoy it? And he said, now put an X somewhere for each thing. Will it make me better? Do I enjoy it? And too often people go to that do I enjoy it axis right. and ignore the will I make it better. I actually took that home to my son and I put it on the wall. It's in my kitchen now. Cody's I, art's on your wall. Well, no, I made it. It's Cody's thought, my art. You know, I'm a great artist. Um, but every day you have to do something that's going to make you better that you won't enjoy. You have to do something that you enjoy and you have to do something that is both. Every single day. That's a fair rule. So if every person came in and said, listen, my number, what's my least favorite lift? Uh, Bulgarian splitties. No, just squats. Oh. I don't enjoy, like, Zachary just sat here for an hour. That's my least favorite. Just bowing down to the greatness of a squat. Is Zachary stronger than every human in his room right now? Combined. Yes. Unfortunately. And what's his favorite lift? The squat. What's my least favorite lift? The squat. Right. So, so I think the lesson is that Cody, that Zach, that Rick has taught us. Do something that you don't enjoy that makes you better. Do something you enjoy and do something that's both. If that's all you did in a program, you'd have a hell of a program. I liked what Zach said, too, about, you know, and you alluded to it, Hammer, about guys throw chains on stuff without ever mastering the squat. How, CJ, how important do you think it is that you have a squat your basic movements down and what do you think are the basic movements that matter the most you you've told everybody get clean get you know take everything away what are your you're going in the gym you got five workouts in you what are they that we need to master before we start throwing chains and getting wild would you not even know if we need to master anything at least be like a decent jack of the trade here you know because uh, uh, then you turn into like the the Vernon Griffins and the, nothing wrong with him, but like the the coaches that spend uh, forty five minutes on prehab before they even get to their squats. And, and and for the record, CJ steals a lot from Vernon. And so. I steal a lot from Vernon. I like Vernon. I yeah. just meant he he is a, a master of other corners. And and, and I, I, I to, my answer would be simple: master a squat, and you don't have to be the greatest squatter ever. Just be competent. Master a press, preferably an overhead. And master a deadlift to some level. Yeah. And, and you, gotta, what, you gotta push, pull, hinge, carry, yeah, and, press something yeah. over your head. And then when you, and then when you're done, do some lunging and some jumping jacks and maybe a dead bug and you'll feel better. I actually have a rule I used to give people. I'd say if you go to a gym and you're not sure if it was hard enough or you don't know what to do next, do ten push ups. If you get up and you still are there, do ten more. If you get up, you can keep doing that until you either know it's been hard enough or you figured out what to do next. People say, What do I do next? Ten push ups. Stand up. Have you figured it out yet? No, do ten more. If you set a simple role for yourself like that, you're going to figure it out real quick. I would say 10 burpees, but we all know burpees are the lowest common denominator of exercise. Is what people do yeah. when they have no other thoughts and in their lost, brain. And they don't even do it right. They don't even do it right. No, nah, it's bad. Burpees are ugly. So, moral story. Squat. Get strong. Do things that suck. Do things you enjoy sometimes. 
And don't do burpees. And get bumpy. Only do a burpee if Grayson's with you. You oh. happy with that? I think so. Okay. It's the first hey, one. Hey, rest in peace, okay. MF Doom. It's the first one, and we'll get better as we go. All right. Then uh, the last thing I want you to do is uh, wrap up the show. What do I say? Uh, whatever you want to say, Hammer. Okay. Tell me when. Three, two. And thank you for listening to this week to the great talk we just had with Zach Reed here at the Union Fitness Podcast. Hot thank you to our own Josh Elsass and the dirtiest mustache in the room, the producer. Charles Jasper. And the too. cleanest mustache in the house. Charles the Van Jasper. Wilder Jasper. Peace and love. <laughs> <laughs>